I'd just love to welcome you uh, online and in the room. I'm so glad that you've chosen uh, to gather with us today. My name is Jess, and I have the privilege of helping to lead uh, this ministry in this season. And I just want to start by saying thank you to all of you. I just want you to know how much I appreciate the communication this week, the emails, the text, the encouraging words, the prayers, the questions, the hard realities, because they all come from the same place, from a heart that's hurting and trying to understand. And so we're going to continue to work through this together the weeks and the months ahead. And I know that God will get us through all of this. Exactly. And I'm reminded of the words that the Apostle Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, when he said, My grace, God speaking, is sufficient, is all you need. For his power works best in weakness. And so now I'm glad to boast about any weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And I've got a lot of weaknesses. You're going to find out. So, hey, bear with me. But my prayer is that Christ will work through each one of our weaknesses in each one of the times of our lives. I know that he will. And so some of you, in, in all reality, may be sitting there today and saying, who is this guy? And what is he about? Where did he come from? You know, you've seen me a minute or two here or there, different times, but... I thought I'd take just a minute just to acquaint myself. Now, it's going to be a little more difficult uh, for you to kind of respond back. I'm not, obviously, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not a young, young dude. So for all 400 of you to respond back with things, I'm not going to be able to catch every one of them. So I'm going to invite you to come hit me up in the hallways to feel free to email. I'd love to chat with you, go out to lunch with you, whatever it is, to get to know you better because I feel it's important for us to know each other. It's not about us. It's about him. But seeing him in us is what encourages every one of us. And they say the older you get, the more emotional you get. DV said that, David Vaughn said that a few times before he left. And I completely concur that. And so I apologize going into it. But let me tell you who this guy is. I was born in Columbus, Ohio many years ago. I remember in my younger years spending many afternoons, especially in the fall, in a thing called the horseshoe. O-H. That's right. Many afternoons, many days, we would go to St. John's Arena. We'd listen to the band practice in the morning, and then the afternoon we'd go out uh, for the games, and it was a beautiful time. I remember those things uh, like just yesterday. And then as a freshman in high school, we moved to Cincinnati. Uh, in fact, we lived on Glenmore Avenue, which is simply just a few blocks down from Westwood Shivia Church of Christ. And some of you may not know, but actually Westwood Shivia Tribe. Church of Christ is who we are today before moving out to this property and changing our name. So very familiar with the church at that point. Of course, I am a proud graduate of Western Hills High School. Woo, there's a couple people in the room. And I do, I do still love all of my elder brothers, whether alma mater or in age, appreciate them. I know there's some in the room and some watching online, but you know, the rivalry may continue, but our love will always grow together. I am a, a proud parent of two children. Uh, obviously, it took my wife and I both uh, to produce those kids. I guess I'm not just the only ones. So. Lori, thank you. Appreciate collaborating in that way with you. Two grown children. And uh, those two children both had a child this past October. Six months ago, became a granddad. Uh, we got a picture here. They are Josiah and Victoria. 
our son had a son and our daughter had a daughter. And this was actually pictured right out here at Easter here in our hallways. Uh, you can tell granddad's a little excited out of everybody in the picture. Wow! He's, having a, he's living the good life with, uh, with the beautiful kids. Now, I know a lot of you in this room, some of you in this room, had, have, had the option of figuring out either what to call your grandparents or perhaps you've been the grandparent trying to help your children or grandchildren trying to figure out, what do you call me? And I don't know if you've checked out recently, but there is a ton, just like baby names, there's whole books of things you can call grandparents and stuff or whatever. And I know we get carried away. We have grand dogs, we have grand pets, we have grand all sorts of things. All sorts of names though for us as grands. Uh, and so grandpas, you know, there's, yeah, we could go around the room and there's probably a lot of them in the room. You know, there's mama and papa, all the traditional names of poppy, mimi, mommy and mama, and all kind of variations of them. I got a few more at the first service today of variations that people had their grandchildren call them as well. But, you know, so I sat down with my son and my daughter and we, we kind of talked through a little bit because, of course, my grandkids, six months old, aren't quite calling me too many things yet. And that's probably good right now. But we talked about what would they call me in time. And so... I consider most of you family, and a lot of you could very well be my grandchildren. So I just want you to feel free to call me what they're going to call me. And that's G-Dog. G-Dog. D-O-double-G for both of them. So, okay, on that, on that comment, I will let you know you won't be stuck with me every week or very often. So just know that our capable and familiar teaching team will be up here presenting God's truth as we always have and will continue to do. You know, speaking of which, I appreciate Alan so much. Uh, the way he started our series last week, yes, thank you. And really speaking through uh, about what we're going to be talking about in this series in the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to quite do it the way he did it with his radio voice and taking you back to this thing. But I am going to uh, just simply say, I know that was terrible, but at least Jake, Alan, at least you appreciate it. Thank you. Um, we do. And there is. In this world, guilt, shame, loneliness, darkness, anxiety, and death, they all exist. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, he himself in the flesh, to come to talk and tell us about this mysterious kingdom that rules supreme. A kingdom where life can be found more abundantly, not only now, but forever. A king who provides hope for all time. And so we ask, where is this kingdom? Who is this king? And Jesus is going to simply tell us through multiple parables in his storytelling. He sheds light into his kingdom and the secrets thereof. And so that's where we're going to continue today and for the next several weeks. And today we're actually going to be looking at a parable about the sower and the seeds. And as we get started, I I briefly just want to summarize the parable up front and some of the things about it and the response of the seed, and then we're going to unpack it as we go further into it. But, you know, I think many of us can understand that there are different responses to any gift, to any seed, if you would, that's given. I want you just for a moment to think about maybe some of the gifts that you've been given in life, maybe as a child, maybe later in life. What what would constitute a perfect gift, that great gift that you still remember today in your mind? I'm going to tell you about one of the gifts uh, that I got as a young child. And uh, this is total disclosure here, so, uh, you know, just getting to know me. So here it is. I got this black stuffed bear. 
And I also got a rubber knife and I got a Daniel Boone hat, a, a raccoon hat with a little tail down the back. I know most of you in this room have no clue. You have to go on, you know, and check it out. Go to the history books, go online and figure out what, that, what I just said and all that. But that was a gift that meant so much. I remember tackling that thing and stabbing it and killing it and taking care of the bears of this world every day. It was so tremendous. Not to mention the therapy effects that it had on me. And my parents appreciated because then they didn't have to give me Ritalin, which the teachers of school wanted them to do. So it was great. It worked out for everybody. It was a beautiful thing. But you know, it was a perfect gift. Now, if I would have gotten that bear and rubber knife and all that when I was a teenager, I don't know how well it would have really gone over. You know, all my friends are getting cars, we're graduating and other stuff. And I, oh, a bear. Oh, great. So if you think about that gift, that perfect gift, maybe it was just a few months ago you got the perfect gift. I believe that it's all about timing, getting the right thing at the right time. That's what makes it so good. And I believe as we speak about this gift of God's truth today, that it truly is many of your stories in this room. You have received just the right thing, God's grace, his love at just the right time and you've experienced what it means to fully believe and run after him. Timing has a lot to do with it. And my prayer today is that as God's word goes out, that it will not return void. That's his promise. I'm sure of that. But today, as we jump into this, I just want to remind you about what the seed represents in this parable. It's a gift. It's the truth of God's word. That's what the seed is. As it's scattered about and given, no matter what the context is, as I just said, it will not return void. Lots of different responses, lots of different interactions, but the seed will not come back and void. And just because the word of God is proclaimed, just because the seed is scattered, doesn't mean automatically that people will respond because it will depend a lot upon us, our hearts, the soil, if you would. And that's the whole context of what Jesus is going to be teaching about today in this parable. At first glance, I just want us to jump and look at these soils and what they represent. And then we're going to take some time to kind of examine where we're at. And then we're going to unpack them more fully, allow Jesus to unpack them more fully for us in his explanation through Luke 8. But as we get started, I just wanted you to be reminded that in each of the, these cases of the seed, the seed doesn't determine the outcome. It's the conditions of the soil that do. The seed, you see, doesn't determine the outcome. The seed is the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is never changing, even in this very unchanging world that we live in, where people can be fickle, where social norms go back and forth, and all the perceptions of life can change so easily day in and day out. God's word is the same. It never changes. The seed does not determine the outcome. It is the same. It's the conditions of the soil of our hearts. That's that's where the outcomes will be seen of what God wants to do in and through our lives, depending on how much we're willing to receive 
his word into our lives. And so if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter 8. You can go in your apps on your phone. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, that's great. We'll have it on the screen as well. But we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. Of course, Jesus shares this, uh, the four writers in the Gospels. Uh, several of them share this from their accounts. We're going to look at Luke's account today. Verses 4 and 5 is where we're going to start. And these are the words that we read there. One, Jesus, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable, to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed, he said, and as he scattered across the fields, some fell on a path, footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. The first soil. The farmer has thrown out the seeds. They fall on a footpath. And subsequently, they are walked on and they are eaten by the birds because it's a very hard soil. Secondly, in verse 6, Jesus talks about the shallow or the rocky soil. When he says these things, other seed fell among the rocks and it began to grow, but the plants soon withered and died for lack of moisture. So the seeds fell, they sprouted, and all looked well until the sun came out and they began to wither. Now in Jesus' day, as he was telling this parable, the people would have fully understood what he was saying. Because you see, in much of the Holy Land area, there's a substratum of limestone covered by a thin layer of soil. So thus, it was very easy for the shoots to come up, but the roots could not go down. And thus, when the sun, when the pressure came on, they withered away. The third soil that he speaks of next is the thorns, or the crowded soil, as I like to say. In verse 7, it reads like this. Jesus said, other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. And then the final soil that Jesus relates to is the good soil. And he says in verse 8, these words, still other seeds, they fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. I look around this morning and it excites me to see people in this room who are truly working on their hearts, on their soil, who are truly preparing themselves to be all that God wants you to be and has called you to be in this life. But I also know, being human, dealing with all of life stuff, as do you, that there are situations there are distractions that come in our life from every angle. And what they do, they cause us to turn, be distracted, and lose our focus on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And so I really just want to take a few minutes today as we get started and just really have a time of self-examination for all of us to kindly look at these four responses, these four soils, and to kind of say, hey, where am I? Truthfully, honestly, nobody else is going to judge you or look at you or hear this. Between you and God, where am I? What in life is distracting me, throwing me off? Where am I at? Have I been hardened by life? Am I trying to do some things, but I'm caught up in the weeds and I'm getting, things are getting choked out that are most important? You know, where do I land? So what soil are you? Where did you kind of put yourself on the spectrum? I'm sure that you realize the critical 
element that's missing from the first three soils as opposed to the final soil is that of growth, growth. And if we ever want to become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, we'll need to continue to grow. And so now let's go back as Jesus goes forward in the text and kind of explains what each of the soils mean for us today. Verse 12, we pick up there in Jesus' words, and he says, The seeds that fell on the footpath, they represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. I think a great question here for all of us to think about is really, how did the soil become so hard? And again, in Jesus' day, they had common paths that people would walk in between the plots of the farmland. Obviously, that's how people travel back in the day. So into town, back home, all the different ways. So the ground was hardened over time by many people walking on it. And I think maybe for some of us this morning, if we're to be honest and truthful, our hearts have been walked on. They've been hardened because of life. You've been there, I've been there. Relationships that didn't exactly go the way we wanted. Perhaps nasty breakups from those relationships that just tore us to pieces, hardened our hearts. Maybe it's the downsizing at, at your job, the dreams, the future that you thought were going to happen, and all of a sudden, it was all taken away. No matter whether it's relationships or events, I'm sure, I'm sure that all of us have been walked on. Our hearts have been hardened to some degree. Perhaps some of us are still there today in that spot. I would just tell you this, what I've learned over the few years of living this life, I've seen one thing for me, and that is when I get in these places, I can remain stuck and run the reel over and over again in my mind of what happened. And what that does is it makes me bitter. Where I can choose to release it and I can become better and move forward. It's a simple choice, but not always so simple in the moment. You remain stuck and become bitter or you release it and become better, become all that God has for you and wants to do through you. Maybe some of us here today just need to ask Jesus to soften our hearts. Don't know what you've gone through, the stuff that is happening, maybe even right now. But God wants to use you. God has a plan for your life, but he's got to let his seed, his word, get into your heart. And if it's hard... It won't happen. I want us all to take time right now just to plan a new seed, a new beginning, moving towards growth in what God has for us. And so as you came in the room today, you should have received uh, a packet that looked like this that has our communion emblems in it. If you can pull that out and get that ready, 
because I want to take this time and remember. I love these words that Jesus shared in John 12. Simply raise your hand, yeah, if you're in the room and you need one, please. Jesus' words in John 12, 23 and 24, Jesus said this, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's foretelling the inevitable future for him. Jesus is that seed that was planted in the ground and that rose again to produce life for so many other people who choose. And you talk about someone in the human portion of being totally God and totally human that could have had a hardened heart. Look at Jesus in just just the last few hours, day and a half of his life here on this earth. One of his close friends betrayed him for a very small amount of money. Another closer friend leader of his gang, of his disciples, his trainees, denied him. Not one time, nor twice. Three times. And there in the darkest hour of his earthly life, with his three closest friends who couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. Ouch. Jesus knows, has experienced, feels your pain and your hurt. But he doesn't want you to stay there and become bitter. He wants you to move on. So I encourage you today, during these moments, if this is your prayer, if this is your hope, Jesus, just simply soften my heart. Please speak it to him. And his spirit will make it happen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his closest friends, his disciples. And after dinner, he took the bread and he lifted up and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. Take and eat the body of Christ. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine and he prayed and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood, the new covenant that is given for many. Take ye and drink it. God, we thank you that you have given so much for us. And we are grateful for that sacrifice that takes away the shame, the guilt, the hardness of our hearts. You've released us because you gave your all, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as Jesus continues in our text, we pick it back up, and he is now going to explain each of the soils, the parables, so that people could truly understand and make the connection to their lives. And so we pick up in verse 13, and Jesus talks about the rocky and shallow salad, soil, excuse me, shallow soil. And he says this in verse 13, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. 
But since they don't have deep roots, they believe it for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. Some versions say life circumstances or situations. So it's the shallow soil really illustrates the emotional hearer who quickly responds to the message but is not, loses interest and dies out over time. And again, I think if we're all to be honest, we've seen this or it has been us at one point or another in our lives. Who hasn't been convicted in the moment by an inspirational teaching? Who hasn't been at some event or something that has just drawn us in, in the moment? We're all in. We're wholly devoted. Yes, that's exactly where we want to go, who we want to follow King Jesus and what we want to do with our lives. And then... Life happens. Something comes along. All the stuff gets back into place, and all of a sudden, that person, maybe us, who were so excited, no longer have the time to, to serve or volunteer. We no longer desire to give our resources, nor do we care to be around the other people who are on the same path of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And slowly over time, they quietly disappear, never to be seen again. And then Jesus goes on to the next soil to explain it, the thorns of the crowded soil. In verse 14, he says these words. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And so they never grow up into maturity. You see, there's enough soil there. The roots can go down. But the problem is there's not enough room when they try to expand and grow and be fruitful because they're choked out, as Jesus says, by the cares of this world. So many things, my friends, are being choked out of our lives. God's word is being choked out by so many things in our lives. His word is being left behind. And I get it. You look at life, there's a lot of things going on in each of our lives. No matter what stage or age you are, multiple things are happening. So many things. And when Jesus is talking about here, he's not really talking about being disillusioned with God in this instance as much as he's just talking about the facts. Life is rough. You've got a lot of things on your plate that you're dealing with. I get it. That's what he's talking about. The cares of this life. And what I've found in my life, the more things that I have in my life, it makes it harder to focus on Jesus Christ. Simply put, I would say the more stuff you have, the more the stuff has you. The more stuff you have, the more your stuff has you. You're consumed. We're consumed by trying to take care of all that we've been blessed with, that we have in our lives. You know, sometimes you just reflect back, especially when you become a G-dog like me in life, and you begin to think about the simpler days when there weren't so many options and there weren't so many choices. And a lot of you in this room won't even have a clue what I'm talking about for the next few minutes, so I apologize. But back in the day, when you wanted entertainment, there were three choices, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Today, I don't need to tell you, 
all of the endless amount of choices, not even on that box, but through Netflix and Roku, on and on it goes. And for all of you, I mean, how many reruns can you watch of The Office or Cheers or Seinfeld, whatever your gig is? But I will just let you in on a little secret. If I were to binge watch anything, and you already know my past, my therapeutic, you know, my stuff that happened younger in life, it would be something like a SWAT or an equalizer or the company I keep, you know, something that's exciting and active and maybe life-threatening sometimes. But it's all on the screen. We know that. You can't believe all that stuff anyways. But that's what happens. So many choices, so many things cluttering and confusing our lives, distracting us and taking off the focus off of our King Jesus. And not only is it the cares of this life, the kids from here to there, and how do I get them to this practice and that thing and to school and back and paying the bills and taking care of the vehicle and getting another oil changer, doing the yard, much less caring to keep the house clean. On and on it goes, living from paycheck to paycheck and the stress and the worries at work and all the things that are happening. They choke out the most important thing in life, which is God's truth and how he wants to work in your life and what he wants to do. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are to prosper. Great things God has done and is going to do through each and every one of us as we align our hearts and open them to what he has for us. And if it's not enough that Jesus says the cares of this world, which are overwhelming, then he goes on and adds the riches and pleasures. And my friends, there is nothing wrong with having ambition and drive and going for your dreams. The problem becomes when those dreams and ambitions have us, when we lose focus again. And I know many of us in this room are trying to figure that out. What is enough? What is enough? How much is enough? I'm just reminded of Paul's words, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke about learning how to be content in all seasons, having a lot, having very little, but being content. And then finally, Jesus wraps up his teaching of this parable with the good soil in verse 15. And he says these words, but the seeds on good soil stand for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Another interesting fact about me, maybe, maybe not. Lived in California for 12 years in a tiny town, 120,000 people, Visalia, is in the San Joaquin Valley, the central part of California. Now, of course, when you come from the Midwest, like we did at that time, and you have parents because we had their grandkids at that time with us, our children, and you're moving out to California, you know, when all you hear is what's happening in L.A. and San Francisco and all this stuff, you're thinking, oh, Lord, help them. What are they thinking? But I will tell you, this is a little slice of heaven in California if you've never been there. Russ Howard can attest to this, and he might someday when he's up here teaching. He also experienced uh, the Central Valley for a period of time. But in that Central Valley, and during that time of 12 years, I was able to experience some of the worst and best soils, I believe, in the whole world. Many times at that day, I was in student ministry. We'd take mission trips to Mexico because it was just so easy. You'd drive down there. We'd many times uh, 
collaborate with our friends at Young Life and other groups, and we go down and we take trips down there. And every trip that I took to Mexico, I noticed one thing each time. The region we went was just over the border a little, not too far. As I looked down, I saw sand. Sand. Sand for their soil. And in fact, the only hope for any agriculture in that area is the Colorado River, which gives a little irrigation. And then each time I'd come back home to the San Joaquin Valley, the fertile farmland in Central California that produces a lot of America's fruits and nuts and vegetables. In fact, it's called America's Salad Bowl. Saw some good soil there. And I don't know if anybody's ever told you, if you've only lived here in this area, that the inside of a strawberry is actually red and not white. I mean, you would go down in these stands on the side of the road there in Visalia and Tulare, the neighboring town and stuff. You'd stop at a stand, we'd get these strawberries and actually bite into them because we had lived back here before that too, so we knew. And they were red. You kept on biting. They were red and they were delicious. And oh my gosh, the fresh oranges, it's freshly squeezed orange juice and you drink that. And then to come back to the Kroger bottom juice off the shelf, I'm thinking, what am I even just still doing here, you know? But hey, it's all good. But that, I mean, that was the best soil, produced some of the greatest crops around. I think we all understand whether we're talking physically or spiritually. It takes a commitment to make and to produce fruit. Intentionality just doesn't happen and one day you sow a seed and the next day, poof, there's this beautiful orchard of fruit, delicious fruit. No. Nah. It's the word that we just read that Jesus spoke of, a very hard word in the original language, even more so, when he said, those who are persevering. That's the hard work of discipleship, my friends. And that is exactly who we are and where we're going. Our direction, our mission, our vision is not changing. In fact, we are only leaning harder into it in the months and years ahead that God has for us. Disciples, trainees of Jesus who are fully following Jesus, who are fertile soil to take the hope of God in Jesus' name to the world, to the neighborhood, to the network, to the places we are, the places we live and work and play. That's what we're called to do. But it's not easy. Remember, we go in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, darkness is driven out. Satan flees. The demons tremble. All of nature bows down to the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, the ultimate authority that says to every single one of us individually, no matter what you're going through, greater am I that is in you than he who is in the world. He loves you and cares about you. He will never fail you or forsake you. He's secure. He supplies every need that we will ever have. He, Jesus, is enough. He is enough, no matter what we're going through in life. And so the good soil is all about multiplication, about growth. If you recall back in verse 8, Jesus said that the crop produced 
a hundred times more. A hundred times more. Can't you just see it? Disciples who are making disciples. Hubs of activity for Jesus in Lawrenceburg, in Delhi, in Cleves, and far beyond the tri-state area. That's what God's called us to. That's what, more importantly, he's invited us into. And as we become disciples, trainees of King Jesus, who allow him to fully rule and reign in our lives, then he will produce a hundred times and more for the kingdom, his kingdom. And that, my friends, is no secret. He invites us into that fully, every one of us. But again, I want to be honest and upfront. When you send an invitation out like that, I've been following for a while, trying to pursue him the best I can. And I know many of you have too. And you can attest alongside to what I'm going to say. It's not easy. The road is long, it's uphill, and it's lonely. And with an invitation like that, everybody's jumping on board. <laughs> it's the truth, though. I'm not going to tell you something that isn't true. And if you've been there, you know. It's hard, but it's so much easier with Jesus, ruler of my life, king of my life, to get through whatever that hardness is. David Livingston was one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He moved to Africa in the 1800s, and there he married his wife, Mary, in 1845. He never stopped pursuing personally what God had, nor the kingdom work that God had called him to during his life. There was a time in his life when Dr. Livingston was approached about the possibility of a missionary society sending him help to do the work, to reach the people of Africa. And so they wrote him a letter that read, Have you found a good road to where you are? And if so, we want to send men to join you there. Livingston's words are so powerful and so right on for who we are today. He responded back and said, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men and women who will come if there is no road at all. That's the depth of being a disciple, my friends. Pioneers who are forging the way to make other disciples, bringing the hope in Jesus' name. And that, my friends, is what I'm inviting you in together that we are going to accomplish in Jesus' name as we go forward from this day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, for the way that you invite us in to a life more abundant both now and forever. But God, we know it's not easy. And we'll have to persevere through some crap, maybe a lot of it at different times. And so God, we just rely upon your spirit, you and your spirit living in us to help us to take that next step to walk through this day, this struggle that we're dealing with even right now or the one that we have or will deal with in the future, God. Because we have the hope that you are a king that has a kingdom full of hope that you've invited us into, a gracious and good king. You are so good. 
And so it's on that promise, King Jesus, that we pray in your name. Amen.